0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the First Loved podcast. Well, I hope you enjoyed the series on benedictions. I enjoyed doing them, I enjoyed listening to them, and especially hearing the Lord speak them to us at the end. This next series is going to be on doxologies. Some of you may wonder what is a doxology, just as we weren't sure perhaps what a benediction was. Perhaps you've heard it in a church, depending on your tradition, you would hear someone say, Let's sing the doxology. Depending on what tradition you're in, you may have done one or both of these, where one is glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Ghost, <laughs> as it was in the beginning and now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And often it was the last thing we sang and church was over. Or this one that often my father would do at mealtimes, and he would invite us to all sing, praise God from whom all blessings flow, praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly hosts, praise Father, Son, and and holy ghost amen and then we would eat so you had this idea that doxologies were something at the conclusion you heard this word doxology and again perhaps you even wondered what is that word you might have got a sense from the songs right they're glory be to god or praise god well doxology the two words that are put together the greek words one is doxa which means glory splendor or grandeur and logos which means word or speaking. And so most doxologies were short hymns or words of praise to God that would be done often at the end of a service, at the end of a prayer. And so we have this idea that that's what they're for. And my concern is that as I was preparing for this and thinking about it is that some of these things we do often can unfortunately become kind of rote. We just do them because, well, that's just how we end all the time. And the power of it can get lost. The meaning can get lost where you just stand there and just sing and praise God from whom all blessings flow and you just do it. But this is about giving glory, giving praise to God. They're words of praise to God often set to music, but not always. Now, what does it mean to God be the glory? Well, the idea behind it is that simply God is the supreme being and creator of all, and so to glorify him means that we are to acknowledge that greatness and splendor through honor, worship, and praise, of which he alone is worthy because he is God of all. To God be the glory, when it's directing our attention to say, let's glorify God, it's really a word for giving him praise worship, honor, and it's centered around his worthiness of it. It's because of who he is, his greatness, and his being. Now, here's the thing about it, though, as I was reflecting, praying, enjoying, preparing these talks, is that, again, to just sing it sometimes at the end of a service or even as just a moment in time where, again, where my father would say, let's just sing this song, praise God from whom all blessings flow, is that It's not necessarily flowing out of an experience of focusing on who God is, remembering who He is and what He's done, so that the doxology becomes primarily a response, a response of our hearts to who He is, what He's done. And what really triggered this for me was that as I was looking through the Scripture, and primarily in the New Testament, and I'm sure there's far more. I didn't have that much time to study on this. But the obvious ones in the New Testament are these moments, especially in Paul's letter. There's one in Jude we're going to look at. And we are going to actually look at a passage. The last one, I think I've got four of these planned. And the last one, we're going to look at First Chronicles 29. So we will look at an Old Testament, what seems to be a doxology. But in every case, except for maybe one time in Philippians chapter 4, Paul's doxologies do not happen at the end. Instead, what seems to happen is that Paul, especially when he's writing letters, I I just got kind of intrigued and awed by this, actually, that as Paul's writing letters, of course, every time he begins it, he says, this is from Paul, an apostle, and then it's always tied to God and Jesus, and sometimes even the Holy Spirit. In one case, in Galatians, he begins like this, grace and peace to you from God our Father... And the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So there's the doxology. To whom be glory, to whom be honor, to whom be praise forever and ever. Amen. But that's verse 5 in chapter 1. He just got started. I think because somehow he's always so God-conscious of what he's writing that this is about us being involved in God's story, God's moving in our lives and history. This is about God, in the beginning God. It seems like Paul is always aware that everything I'm going to write to you about, everything I think about is this constant awareness that it's God first, who he is and what he's doing, and every now and then, as he's writing, he just breaks into these moments of doxology, these moments of giving glory to God. Like I said, the one in Philippians four nineteen and 20, it's just right before the end of the letter. But even then, he says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, even that, I think... He's been building, writing this letter, giving thanks for all that he's received from the people. And then, but finally he says, but God, God will supply. He will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory. And it's like he can't help himself. He suddenly just has to say, so to our God and father be glory forever and ever. Amen. And most of the doxologies all have amen at the end of them, because that's this word for saying, so be it. Make it so, Lord. Let it be. Yes, O God. And he breaks into this even after this sentence, as it were. Well, it caused me to think of Romans 1, 21, where Paul is addressing the church, and he says this statement that although we human beings knew God, we neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. It's like this is the primary sin, if it were, in some level. Well, it's still about love, so I don't want to go there. (laughs) But still, he says, if you know God, if you've experienced God, although they knew God, if you know God, the response should be glorifying Him, praising Him, honoring Him, worshiping Him, and giving thanks to Him. And I remember years ago talking about this, speaking, teaching about this, that thinking about the fact that even we love him in response to him loving us first, even the doxology still means that God has to reveal himself and he does things in order for glory and thanks to even happen. Glory and thanks necessitate God loving first, revealing himself first, acting first in order for thanks to be a response for glory glorifying to be a response. It's always about God doing first, loving first, initiating first, revealing first, to which we respond. I'm going to try to carry that theme all the way through. The doxologies are giving thanks, but especially glorifying God for who He is and what He's done. Well, the remainder of this podcast, I just want to focus on a scripture in 1 Timothy, where Paul has two of these moments in this letter. And I just wanna let the text talk to us. If we got time, I'm even gonna bring in the end of Romans chapter 11. But just listen to Paul. Paul says, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength that he considered me, me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So then he writes here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. And I couldn't help but thinking about John 3, 16 and 17, though, that that's true. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. But in John's gospel, John says, but it's God who so loved the world that he sent his son and he didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. So here's one who's been saved by the love of God and the, and the death and resurrection of Jesus. So Paul's reflecting, look, this is trustworthy. Jesus came into the world not to condemn, but to save sinners of whom I am the worst. He says, for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life in essence, he's saying, if God could love and save me, if God could have mercy on me and save me and love me and be patient with me, how much more to anyone else that I share the gospel with? There was nobody worse than me. So you can have full confidence that God loves you and Jesus died for you and his grace can work in your life too. As he's writing this, all of a sudden he says, now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Right there at the beginning of the letter. But what triggers that doxology, what triggers that eruption, as Paul's writing, is that he's remembering, he's reflecting, he's thinking of the fact that it's God, the King eternal, the one who's king forever, who's immortal. He is life. He will never die. He's always been, always will be, always has been. He's invisible. He's the only God. It's that God who sent Jesus into the world. And to not condemn, but to save Folks, I wish as we would remember, doxologies would be such a quick reaction to us that we'd go, To you, O King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the Only God. To you, O God, be honor and glory forever and ever and ever. Amen. Oh, folks, we're not experiencing, we're not getting it if doxology, both in glorifying God and giving thanks to Him, doesn't erupt. Well, he continues to write his letter, and now we're in chapter 6. We're getting toward the end. He's trying to encourage Timothy, his son, whom he loves in the Lord. And he says, "'You, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses.'" And then he returns to God. He says, in the sight of God, and then I love this, he always interjects these little things about who he is. That's a part of his glory and his splendor and his wonder. But he's just casually writing, Timothy, in the sight of God, oh, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, He says, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God, and then he interjects another thing about his glory, will bring about in his own time, that God is sovereign, that he has purpose, that he's in control, that he fulfills what he's doing, he's working out his plan. He is in the middle of a letter, he's trying to encourage Timothy, but as he thinks about God, Boom, who gives life to everything. Oh, God, who will bring about in his own time the appearing of our Lord Jesus and wrap this all up. And then, boom, he goes into doxology. Suddenly, he just says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has seen or can see. To you, O oh God be honor and might forever. Amen. And he's not done with the letter. He can't help himself. He starts thinking about Jesus. He starts thinking about God. He starts thinking about these little things about who God is and what he's done and how much he loves. And he just recognizes God's in this thing while he's writing. And he erupts into doxology. I've been learning this song. I'll probably bring it up in every one of these episodes. It's called Ever Be. Ever Be. And uh, I'm in the process of learning, but the chorus is just really catchy, where it just says, your praise, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips, your praise will ever be on my lips, ever be on my lips. And I just keep singing over and over, but I go, yes, it means doxology is ever on my lips, ever on my lips, for you are worthy of praise, worthy of praise. Angels and saints sing worthy, are you Lord? Oh, you guys, that every time God would come to mind, at some point, we would just be captured by the wonder of him and break into this. To you be glory. To you be honor. To you be praise. You're amazing. We love you, God. Well, the last one is the end of Romans, or actually Romans, this is only Romans 11. So again, it's not quite at the end, but it is at the end of this long thought It begins in chapter 9, where Paul's wrestling with both appreciating yet struggling that here God is saving the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and he's having mercy on them and that he's brought them into all the blessings that Israel alone had. And then he's just grieving at how many of his own people are not believing in Jesus, are not experiencing the coming of the Spirit and a transformed life. And He reminds himself that God said, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he's just banking on that somehow, someway, God will not forsake the people whom he called and chose. It's a long, complex section there, 9 to 11, but he's just anchoring himself that God is God, that God is good, that God is loving, that he's compassionate and merciful. And one way or another, he's going to work this all out. So that the original people and the new people, the Gentiles and the Jews together are going to experience his mercy and his compassion, his love, his forgiveness. And all of a sudden again, boom, he just writes, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord and who has ever been his counselor or advisor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And then he goes on and keeps on writing. In view of his great mercy, we should offer our, etc., etc., etc. He can't help himself when he's thinking about God and who he is and what he's done. Well, I wanted to finish today with you hearing from the Lord, and then us responding with the To Him Be Glory. So first, let's hear it from the Timothy text. Listen to God remind you and me of who He is. I am God, the King Eternal, the Blessed and Only Ruler, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, I alone am immortal, and I live in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen nor can see. And now we say to you, Lord, therefore be honor and might forever. Listen to the Lord now through Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches of my wisdom and my knowledge How unsearchable are my judgments and my paths beyond tracing out. Who has known my mind or who has been my counselor? Who has ever given to me that I should repay them? For from me and through me and to me are all things. To which, Lord, we say, to you be glory forever and ever. Amen. You are amazing your wisdom, your knowledge, your paths, your ways, who you are as God, your grace and mercy and love and patience that you've poured out on us through Jesus. Oh God, we just erupt and say to you, to you be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So I just pray right now for us all, Lord, as we're listening, if we're in the car, wherever we are, oh God, I pray that your praise would Ever be on our lips, ever be on our lips, because you are so worthy of it. Thank you, God, for the revelation that brings about this response from our hearts. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all, and have a great day.